Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I love this church. Um, we didn't have a reader um, because I requested to just do that myself. I didn't want to put anybody else through um, the juggling of those names. I mean, even uh, uh, Oatneal, um, some people say Othneal, um, some people say Othneal. We say oatmeal in our home. It's just, it's the, the thing we say because it's just easier. And, um, and so <clears throat> today's actually um, kind of a heady sermon for me. Uh, it's, it's something that is dear to my heart because I, I, I love um, people. And I love our culture. Um, but there's a warning that comes with that. And so we're going to kind of get into uh, what, the, what the word has to say here. We, we often think of ancient Israel and, and those times, and we have a hard time connecting it to today. And, and I'm going to argue that we're not so different in our culture today as Israel was once they entered the promised land all those years ago. Um, so uh, our emphasis will be basically a continuation from last week. It's the, the history of man's rebellion against God. Um, beginning in ancient Israel, right, um, in the promised land, that time seemed so foreign to us in the 21st century, um, all the way through today, right, uh, and, and how our two cultures may put on different faces, but we're really not that far apart from each other, okay? Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, O'Neill and his um, being the first judge, and really, um, arguably the only good judge. He was certainly the best judge um, there was. Uh, and so we're going to discuss um, embracing culture and forgetting God uh, and look at ancient Israel, their mistakes, and how we repeat them today. Um, secondly, we're going to um, talk about um, how God sends his people a judge and a savior. Not like a judge here in America with a, with a gavel. This is more like Judge Dredd. He's like judge, jury, and executioner all in one, right? He's a warrior judge. Um, and then lastly, uh, how shall we then live? Um, what does this mean for us, you and I, as Christians in our culture, our response to a loving God in the culture in which we live? And so if you would take a moment with me, I'd like to uh, pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, um, you give us a heavy task to preach um, the word of God. And I pray that you are with us each um, this morning as, as we um, discuss these things and, and see how they pertain to us. I pray that your name is glorified and that you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, help us to be um, men and women of conviction men and women uh, that walk in the truth and the life, that are not afraid to speak truth and life to the world around us, doing so in love, doing so for your name's sake, doing so for those who are going to perish if they do not trust in Christ alone. So God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I get started, um, does anybody use YouTube around here? Show of hands. 
No? Just me? I'm the only one. I know. It's crazy. Um, I, I, I thought so. I love YouTube. And just ask my wife. I, I spend way too much time on it. Um, I like it for various reasons. You can learn just about anything. I, I have learned how to fix washer and dryers, um, you know, small engine repairs. I have learned how to build cabinets. Like, seriously, I've, I've learned so much off of YouTube. You can... Um, you can learn just about anything, right? So it's, it's pretty cool. Our family loves this guy, Mark Rober. Do you know who Mark Rober is? I'm a big fan. He's like the science guy. He used to work at NASA, and, uh, and he left NASA to make YouTube videos, which is wild, but he makes more money doing the YouTube videos. And, uh, and so, um, but he's, he's a science guy, and, he, and he, if you don't know his name, you probably know him from his glitter bomb experiment, uh, experiments, um, where he, he, he creates this glitter bomb and sets it on the porch for unexpecting porch pirates, and they take it, and they bring it into their home, and they open it up, and surprise, it's not so fun anymore. So... Um, <clears throat> I just, I love those, I love those shows. And so I'm not a big intro guy, but I thought this was a good way to get into the text this morning. Um, Also sermons, like if you're a sermon nerd like me that likes to just go on and and listen to some Piper or some, you know, whoever, I mean, just like you can get it on YouTube and, uh, and I just love that. Um, Anyway, the problem is if you linger there uh, very long at all, uh, you'll, you'll find yourself, um, you know, because of the algorithms within the system itself, you'll find yourself in a really unique place where you're looking at some really depraved stuff. I mean, a couple of years ago, you can't pull up the internet without seeing riots and shootings. And this is more than what you see on the news, right? This is, this is more common than we were even aware of. And, and so our minds um, begin to get a little dose of reality. Wait, not maybe reality, but perceived reality, right? The algorithms kind of speak to what uh, it thinks that we need to hear and what's going to keep us clicking. And I'm a victim of it. I, I will feed into that monster, right? And so... Um, and so uh, we see all this stuff, and, and everybody seems to have an opinion a- about everything, especially about race, sexuality, education, the economy, the state of the climate. Politicians with dirty hands lecture us, or corporations who sell widgets or beverages, or movie producers who didn't get the outcome in dollars and cents, feel the need to educate the public on issues of morality. These should not be our teachers. It can be a lot. Uh, We're engrossed in the culture um, in which we live. We just are. There's no doubt about it. I mean... It's the old philosophical idea, does a fish know it's wet, right? If you've heard that before, if not, um, just leave it there because I'm not going to explain it. But a fish doesn't know it's wet because that's just the environment in which it lives, right? And, and we are the fish in this example, right? So um, even amongst friends here at Genesis, friends I, I love dearly, um, of which we all consume different types of media, uh, often, or at least sometimes come to wildly different conclusions on the same current events. Isn't that wild? Like we're all looking at the same event, but from different perspectives, and and it forms and shapes the way we see that reality. The point is, the culture in which we live is polarizing, to say the least. And as Christian men and women, we ought to look to the scriptures to help us clear, see clearly and respond rightly. 
You get it. You get it, boy. All right. Listen, we love babies here. Have more of them. We're talking about culture today. The way to change the culture is to have babies, raise them right, do it for Jesus so that we might see a revolution in our next generation, right? So um, we're happy about crying babies here. Um, So the first thing we're going to talk about is embracing culture and forgetting God. What, what does this all mean, right? And so uh, for context, uh, verses 5 and 6 last week, I don't see Derek. He was right back there. But 5 and 6 last week where Derek preached, and we learned that Israel failed to drive their enemies out. Um, instead, they gave their sons and their daughters in marriage, taking up the customs of God's enemies. If, if you were here last week, you don't have to raise your hand. If you were here last week, in fact, I was, but I was upstairs teaching the kids, so I had to watch it on YouTube, by the way. Hey, hey. So um, I watched it on YouTube, um, actually, I think Sunday, and it was fantastic. I think Derek did a great job, and I was very encouraged. Uh, he has a unique way of bringing um, life to the scriptures that just, like, does something in my soul that makes me love Jesus more. And so praise God uh, for that. Uh, and so... Um, God told the Israelites, hey, go into this land I'm giving you. It's the promised land. It's the land that I had set aside for you from the beginning. But there's all these inhabitants. They're Canaanites, right? And, and there's all these different sects of the Canaanites. And, and so you need to go in there and drive them out. And, and they're like, yeah, it's kind of hard, though. So I'm going to not do that. But, you know, it's really vibrant um, culture they have. And, and I kind of like some of the music and they put on good shows. And so we're going to actually just um, go in and join them and give our sons and daughters in marriage to them. And, and so um, it was a bad idea. Um, and so the people of Israel lived there uh, amongst the Canaanites. And this is verse five, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pre- um, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and um, their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Does that mean there's more than one God? What does that mean they serve their gods? We're going to look at that today. They're idols for sure, but I believe they're more than that as well. Derek so aptly pointed out uh, that to be married has become one. Ephesians says you are one flesh with the other. I love that when he said it, the analogy just really struck me. He's like, so these two cultures married into each other. Opposing cultures meshed. What made God's people stand apart began to fade away. They were no longer separate, but integrated, right? And so, so the questions we have to ask today are, you know, how are we living in this world instead of merely living, um, I'm sorry, how are we living of the world instead of merely living in the world and, and really for the world, right? Um, let that linger in the back of your mind uh, for a moment. And, and, and as Christians, we have that call to be set apart still, okay? But, but think about the different systems in the world. And, and listen, these aren't bad, not all of them, right? These aren't all bad systems. These aren't um, at all systems that we can avoid. Um, some we can, some we can't. But, but even as just like everyday dealings with um, our culture, um, we, um, we bank according to the world systems. Um, 
I'm not saying don't, I mean, I bank. I've got Wells Fargo. Love them or hate them. That's where I bank. Some people think um, banks are evil. I don't know. I think they're fantastic, right? No, of course they're evil. But we bank there, and we, <laughs> we, use, their, we, use, their, uh, we use their systems. And these are world systems set up, not by God, but by man, um, in order to make rich people richer, right? And so, um, but we use them, and, and, the, and they're helpful for us. And so I'm not saying don't do that or, or, or it's bad, but, but just trying to get our minds thinking, like, what systems do we use in the world? Um, the way we handle money, obviously, we work in a certain way. Um, I'd love to see more entrepreneurs in the faith, but we work in a certain way that is really set up and established by um, systems of the world. Um, we consume media. I mean, I, I made an example earlier, but, but um, entertainment, uh, all kinds of stuff. We, 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 we rock out, you know, we, we turn on Netflix and we watch. And, and, and listen, I don't want to, like, get on anybody's case here. I love me some Netflix. I like to watch the comedy specials. I like to watch the shows. Binge watching is fun. I'm going to say, you know, don't do it, but like I do, and uh, it's fun. I don't want to watch a show um, once uh, a week. I want to like wait till that series is over and then watch it all at once, right? Um, it's not healthy. Don't do it, but I do. And so, um, and so here's the deal. Um, what we find ourselves doing is, is they, they, put, they put little carrots in front of us and we're, we're laughing, we're laughing, we're laughing. And, and, and very soon we find ourselves laughing at what God went to the cross for. We find ourselves chuckling at depravity. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I find myself going, I would not choose to laugh at that abstract from this nice little package, but it's packaged so nicely. It's really funny. This action sequence, it's really great. I mean, there's no redemptive anything in it, but, you know, there's cars flying into space, so that's cool, right? So these are, these are ways we've we bought into, um, this, is, I, this is all a tangent. I didn't write all this down. But, um, but we, like, listen, think about the ways that, that we have um, integrated into the culture that aren't distinctly Christian. And I bet most of the patterns of our lives fall into how the world has set it up and not how God has set it up, right? And that should, on some level, prick us or at least help us to consider um, ways that we may need to change, right? And so, again, that's not here. That's, you know, the Holy Spirit just flowing, right? And so, um, let's see. Um, so forgetting God. So next point, forgetting God. So they, this is why God is angry. I mean, you know, chapter 3 um, verse 7, the Israelites did what was evil on the side of the Lord. What did they do? They forgot God. They forgot the Lord their God and worshipped the Baals and the Asher, um, Asherahs. Okay? And so, um, <clears throat> two things seemingly happened all at once. Right? I say this because it's all in one sentence. They forgot God and worshipped the Baals and Asherahs. Um, but I, I would argue it didn't happen all at once. It happened in increments. Over time, one does not merely abandon their God. Listen, all that God had done for them up until this point, he delivered them out of Egypt. He sustained them in the desert. He gave them manna. He, he gave them water out of a rock. He led them to the promised land. 
every step of the way, they grumbled and complained and, um, and disobeyed God. And who was faithful? Our Father in heaven was faithful to his people. So I don't think one abandons their God and clings to another overnight. How have we seen our culture forget God? And this is important as we uh, are on this thought exercise. In my generation, we have taken the Ten Commandments out of the halls of justice. We've removed prayer from the public sphere. We've replaced the observation of the natural order, a means by which we could look at the wonders of creation and out of us would sprout up worship. We call the science, my friends, the observation of the natural order. See, true science points to a created order. It is why all men are without excuse. We have replaced true science with faith-based fiction. All in the name of equality with the world. We're too afraid to offend. So science becomes mutilated. I'm for science. It points to Jesus. It points to the creator. That is to say, we as a society have gone to great lengths to explain away the existence of God, to forget him entirely, little by little, inch by inch, discovery by discovery. Nietzsche, this is not in here either, I'm sorry. Nietzsche um, is famous for saying what? God, God is dead. He didn't come up with that. It was a German phrase long before him. Again, this is not, listen, I'm not going to get into philosophy very much. But it, it, people say that, and they'll put it on, on T-shirts, and, and that's all fun and games. Um, Nietzsche was a philosopher and an atheist. Uh, he did not believe there was a God. Um, he believed in, in, in science and philosophy, um, and, and, and those were his religions. But he didn't say God is dead as a thing to be proud of, if you, and just look it up in your own time, if you look at the whole, um, it's about a paragraph long, the whole phrase that he mentioned, he says, God is dead and we've killed him. Okay? And then he goes on to explain the tragedy that's going to ensue because of scientific progress, detached from morality, he could foresee where the culture was going to go and he was devastated by it. He said it mournfully, not boastfully. When a secular atheist philosopher goes, killing God's a bad idea, we should at least consider what he's saying. Not in here, sorry. It's just, you know. Um, our culture has forgotten God. Now, to mention God in the public square invites ridicule. Universities today are havens for something called safe spaces where one is not allowed to speak biblical truths. They say that if you challenge narrative that the greater society holds, that you are committing violence to the hearer, actual violence. They call them safe spaces. It's not the universities either. It's retail establishments, maybe even the company you work for. Today, people are getting fired 
from their jobs for sharing opinions and even scripture at times online outside of company time. They go online and their boss finds out that they wrote this thing about this other thing and they're out of a job. Professors are fired seemingly every month for doing just this. People with public voices saying things that are not allowed to be said. And I think it's a tragedy. Our culture has forgotten God. We are in the middle of Pride Month. For the sake of this conversation, we'll set aside what pride is intended to represent here, except to say that the banner of pride is a sin, not a virtue. It's a sin, but it's lofted on high. Society has an entire month dedicated to something that the Bible calls evil. Scripture tells us to be humble, not prideful. Should we have a month for envy? Lust? What other sins should we have a month for? Greed? Our culture has forgotten God, and we've gotten lost in it because little by little, they don't do it all at once. If somebody had come up with a Pride Month out of nowhere 100 years ago, people would have lost their minds. But little by little, our culture has forgotten God. Israel worshiped the Baals and the Asherahs. What do we know of this type of worship? Well, it includes, uh, includes child sacrifice. You can look at just about anywhere Baal worship is mentioned in Scripture, and it includes child sacrifice. I mean, one of the judges later on in, in, in this book goes through the same thing to honor God because he's so entrenched in the culture that he lives. God's like, I don't want that. Here in um, Jeremiah 19, verses 4 and 5, because the people have forsaken me, I and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command nor decree, nor did it come into our mind, into my mind. He could have said our, there's a trinity, come on. Um, and then Second Chronicles 28, 2 through 4, Ahaz, or Ahaz, I don't know how you say that, walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his sons as offerings according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. That's child sacrifice. That's Baal worship. It also included the mutilation of one's own bodies. You can find it also various places. First uh, Kings eighteen twenty eight. Um, sexual deviancy. Um, 
as an offering, as a uh, sacrifice to Baal. Um, so what we're looking at here is, is um, things like prostitution and just general sensuality. Um, the sexual revolution began uh, here. Um, it, didn't, it didn't start in the 70s uh, or 60s for that matter. Um, it started in ancient Israel. Um, and we've seen uh, that quailed over time and it comes back time and time again. Um, and, and here we are. Um, as, as acts of worship, they would sell themselves into um, slavery or um, prostitution. Well, it's the same. And so, Numbers 25, 1 through 3, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself. Do you know what it means to be yoked? Like you get two oxen and you put the yoke so that they are in sync with one another. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. 1 Corinthians 10, 20, the Balaam of the Old Testament. Now listen, when we think of these gods, and they're called idols, and people make little wooden or, or metal things to bow down to, to worship, we often think of man-made gods, right? We do. We think of like, we're going to invent gods for ourselves. Um, but 1 Corinthians, and it, and I'm not able to get really into the context of it right now, but um, in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, um, he kind of explains what it is, that the Balaam of the Old Testament were merely demonic forces dressed up like little gods, right? So, so the demons that scour the earth to get you to take your mind off of Christ and the good work that he has done, he's fooled you into thinking that you're worshiping trinkets but you're not worshiping trinkets. It says, what pagans sacrifice to idols, they offer to demons and not God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Idol worship is not silly. It's demonic. And we need to know the difference. Sometimes we, we look at pagan cultures and we go, that doesn't make any sense. They're worshiping a little piece of wood. Like we've got a living God. They've got a living God too. Only it's not a big G God and it's a demonic force that desires to destroy them. It's not a trinket. So how do we see these types of behaviors exhibited in today? I've uh, agonized the sermon over the past couple of months because how do I talk about these things without offending some? And my intent is not to offend, but to show love and truth. I believe that the sacrifice of the Old Testament in the book of Judges to the Baals is paramount to abortion today. The murder of innocent, not just a sacrifice of children at a different altar. Maybe it's the altar of convenience. 
the altar of pride, the freedom to be childless, to have a career one desires. You know, that was the argument from Roe v. Wade is, is women cannot be equal as men. It was a feminist argument. Women cannot be equal as men as, unless they can be equally unpregnant as men at any given time. That was one of the arguments given in that movement at that time in the 70s. And it's a tragedy. As for the men who support this terrible act, who seek to be free from fatherly and financial responsibilities, often paying to have their sons or their daughter's life brought to an end, is there any justice? I say there is not. Not in those acts. We need to be weary of our actions and what we approve of and what we excuse away. Because it's easy to excuse away. It really is. Um, We dress it up as freedom of choice. And we hear all the arguments and we hear the particularly cruel things that have happened to young women in this nation and we say, if these cruel things happen to them, we should be able to do this and you should not. It's not okay. We sacrifice at altars every day and in states like Texas, where they've, they've done away with abortion after eight weeks, we celebrate that, but it shifted. The whole industry shifted. Most abortions happen by pill that can be sent in the mail, and our great legislators have put in exceptions to where that is allowed, and so they just get them over the counter and, and get them shipped straight to their home, and babies are still dying. One million babies a year in this country. One million children are murdered by the hands of their mothers and fathers. It's one in four women between the ages of 18 and, I think, 38. One in four women have had an abortion. I want you to think about that for a moment. We'll get to it later. I say all this to draw out the comparison between ancient Israel and our culture today. We are not all that different. I, you know, that for the sake of time, I didn't get into um, some of the other aspects of veil worship today, but the carving up of one's body as an uh, act of sacrifice is, um, is something that is, is very much done today. The mutilation of oneself. We need to, we need to consider that as not a, a natural thing. Did you guys know that there's transabilist? Has, has anybody heard about that? I know it's kind of a fringe thing, but, but people believe that they were um, born wrong because they're sighted, but were meant to be unsighted. So they'll go into a doctor and a doctor will um, blind them. Or they're, um, they believe that they're, they're, they're supposed to only have one leg and, and, and they're, they have two functional legs, so a, a doctor will, will take out the extra leg. I mean, that's happening in our culture today. It's not talked about much, but 
it is happening, and um, and I think it's I think it's sad. I think it's a tragedy, um, and so uh, we need to. I'm going to move on, but I, you know I believe that we're not that different. Um, we too have been united with this culture. We too have forgotten God. We too have believed lies of the enemy and bowed down to false gods. Our gods just look different. They look cleaner. And so we see here in in verse 8 that God's fury burned hot against Israel. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. He um, he sold them into the hands of Cushan, Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. The children of Israel served Cushan, Rishathaim for eight years. I'm getting better at saying that name the more I say it. All right? He served them for eight years. And, and, in the Bible, if you, if you look at the original um, text here, it's not like he was angry with them. Some of those translations might say he was angry with them. It's, it's not that he was angry. He, it was a white-hot fire that burned within God against Israel. But this isn't an anger divorced from love. No, it is an anger because of love. When my children sin. And I become angry. It is not because I hate them. It's because I love them and I want to direct their paths towards righteousness. God's anger is the same. That's why we reflect God in that. God is loving. He loves Israel. His care for his people is turned into action. No longer could they forget God and be separated from him. God turned them over to slavery for eight years in order to humble Israel, press them so that they may call out to God for salvation. This was an act of supreme kindness on God's part. They served uh, King Cushan Rishathaim. His name actually means twice wicked king. He was an evil man. That's really all we know of him. I did some research. There's not a lot of information. We know that his name was twice wicked king. And he was an instrument that God used to press his people. He was a tool, an evil tool. Remember, this act of discipline comes from a compassionate king to help bring his people back into the fold, back into obedience. This is a reminder to me. um, I never want to discipline my kids. I'm an imperfect father, but I want what is greater for them. I want to teach them, guide them in the way they should go. So I discipline out of love, just as their father has done here. Right? This is what God has done for Israel here. And so um, we have Oatmeal that comes on the scene. And I'll just read here, starting in verse 9. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer in order to save the children of Israel. Oatmeal, son of Kenaz, the younger brother of Caleb, the Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he judged Israel. He went out to battle, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hands so that Oatmeal overpowered Cush and Rishathaim. The land rested for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. See, Israel cried out to the Lord. 
Did they cry out to the Baals? No, they cried out to God. While enslaved, Israel remembered the God of their fathers and in their distress cries out to them. God shows mercy on an unrepentant people. But wait, what do you mean unrepentant? They cried out to God. I'm calling them unrepentant here on a timeline. In their distress, they call out on the name of the Lord as one cries out when they've been busted. Have you ever known anybody who's been put in a terrible situation based on their own actions and they call out to God and they say, God, help me now. If you help me now, I will never do that thing again. I will, I will follow you now. If you help me now, you got to show me. And then God, God somehow, he like relieves them of the, the situation they're in. They're like, oh, it worked itself out. Never mind. Thanks, God. Maybe later. It's not repentance. It's a call of desperation. And I believe that is what has happened here. We'll continue to see in the book of Judges, Israel goes to fall back into their old habits generation after generation. Even their judges get worse and more terrible one after the other. So we end with Samson, the worst of them all. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'm running a little late, but I've got to finish this because there's a lot left unsaid, and I'm going to continue. So now God calls Oatmeal, and the Spirit of the Lord came on him. When Oatmeal went up against his enemy, he did so by the power of God and not of his own strength. You hear that? The same goes for you and I. When we are faced with relentless challenges, let us not face them on our own strength, on our own accord. Let us call on the name of the Lord, for he is with us and he is for us. Oatmeal would have been crushed in his own strength. But instead, God delivered Cushan Rishatham over to him. The Lord handed over the king to Oatmeal. It is written like a footnote, just as a matter of fact. I mean, I'm sure I'll never be a, a footnote in history, but to be defeated by God and only be a footnote. Oh man, that's saying something about the strength of God and, and God using his people. There was a, there's peace in the land as long as the Redeemer lived. Don't skip past that. I think that was a note for me, but don't skip past that. There's peace in the land as long as the Redeemer lived. It was by Oatmeal's life Israel was safe. I mean, O'Neill eventually died 40 years later and the people went right back to sinning against God. One day, God would send a redeemer that has victory over his enemies, not by the sword, but by the cross. He too would die, but by his death would the people of God be set free. But this redeemer wouldn't stay dead, would he? The good father would raise his son from the tomb. He would ascend into heaven to sit, ruling and reigning at the right hand of the father. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? 
our great Savior in Christ did come and did live amongst his people. And he lives today. And it's because he lives that we, it's like that song, because he lives, that hymn. Oh, that's beautiful. We need to play that. Go ahead and cue that up, Matt, for the, after the, sorry, okay. Um, but yeah, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Isn't that how it goes? And, uh, and isn't that the truth? So what is our response? I'm going to finish up here. Um, it's a little heavier sermon that, for me to have to preach, but um, we, we may be tempted to despair when considering the broader context of our culture. Don't. Don't despair. Listen, I listen to podcasts a lot, and I listen to news, and I'm, whenever I'm in the car, which is like most of the day, something's piping through there. And if I'm not checking myself, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like, where has the world gone? And, and I don't care where you are on any spectrum that there has been in divides. Everybody feels this way. You can be on the far other end of the spectrum and goes, how is it going on like this? Don't despair, my Christian brother and sister. The sins of this world are not new, but have, since the fall, been common to man. Today we see the light of the world bringing the truths of man's depravity from darkness and into the light. This is the grace of God. Let me expound on that a little bit. These things that we discussed today have always been the depravity of the world hasn't changed, my friends. It's always been depraved. When we talk about when times were better, when and for who? What's happened in recent days, I believe, is not that the world has gone more crazy, more mad, more sinful. I believe that God, in his goodness, is bringing darkness to light. So that we can see the truth. And in that, Christianity is becoming less popular. More and more people are leaving the faith. And, and by leaving the faith, they're leaving a, a social club that they once benefited from. And no longer benefit from, so they're just going to exchange their membership to the new social club. So the, the church's thinning out is a blessing, I believe, from God on high to separate the goats from the sheep, from the lamb. So that you and I can sit next to a brother and sister and know that person is faithful. That person is true. That person will face the persecution alongside me. And and we need to return to God in repentance. Repent now of your own sin, your own hang-ups, your own habits. Repeat, uh, repent now of that. But my friend, repent also of the culture in which you live. Repent also of American ideology. I mean it. Of consumerism. We buy so much stuff. Repent of that. I'm all for capitalism. Really, I don't have a problem with it. A Christian should not be wrapped up in consumerism. Everything we do should be for the glory of God. 
a, a few years ago, Marie Kondo, again, not in the notes, I'm just off. Marie Kondo came out with a book and a, I think a Netflix thing and all the wives had to run out and get rid of all their stuff. And, and you take the object and you say, does this object make me, make me happy? And if it didn't make you happy, you got rid of it. And, uh, and since then, she's had like three kids and she's abandoned everything. And it's really hilarious, especially to us fathers. But take that approach. Do I need this for the glory of God? No? Then I don't need it. Side note, not in here. Um, I'm ADD. Anybody else? No? No? Just me. All right. So, um, yeah, so when, when you struggle or have sinned against God, um, we have hope in Christ. I, I spoke, and we're almost done. I spoke of safe spaces earlier, kind of in a mocking way. And I, and I began to wonder, how did they beat us to it? Seriously, I mean, we should stand again against uh, sin. Uh, we should stand against sin in our culture, teach truth revealed in Scripture, but to the image bearer of God, let us be kind and compassionate. Let us point them to Jesus. There's a lot in our culture that I didn't touch on today for various reasons, time being the most obvious, but I do want to consider what I have touched on. Earlier, I I talked about abortion. The most daunting statistic regarding abortion today, in my opinion, is in America, one out of every four women have reported to have an, abor- an abortion. And the church is built up of sinners who have put their hope and trust in Jesus, some of whom are hurting and you can't always see it. Sister, if that is you, I love you and God loves you. You are safe to struggle here. The same goes for all of the sins of our culture. Come to Jesus. Walk away from the sin. But where you are broken. Some of you may come from abusive homes or struggle with unnatural desires or can't forgive yourself for that thing that you did that no one, knows, no one else knows about. Jesus knows And he cares. For far too long, the church has browbeaten and bullied those who struggle. No, my friend. Join us in Christ. All have sinned and are in need of a Savior. Cast your your burden upon Jesus who can bear it. You can't bear it. I can bear it with you. I can can carry a part of that load, but ultimately we can't bear it together. Jesus, Jesus can bear it. Cast your sin upon Christ. And fellow Christian, let your neighbors know it is okay to struggle here. Listen, statistically, all these things we talked about and more, 
The statistics are same in the church as they are outside of the church. Divorce, 50%. Cut it down the line. Same in the church, same outside of the church. Abortion, same. Same-sex attraction, same. You name it, it's the same because the church is made up of the people in the culture. So we are not browbeating anybody anymore. We're speaking truth, gospel truth. You can find freedom in Jesus. Come here. I will, I will pray with you. I will struggle with you. I will be there at two in the morning when you need me because you have nobody else. And I know some of you will too. If you struggle, struggle well. Struggle with brothers and sisters. Find yourself in a community group. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed.